All right, everybody happy tonight? Can you? Am I on? There we go. I have a new toy tonight. I have been delivered, and I've delivered Marsha. So let's stand together, and we're going to pray. And, I, and not only does it switch the screen for me, but watch this. And so if you go to sleep on me, and you see a red thing on your eye. <laughs> I'm just having fun. Now, it's the one on the top that switches it, right? Jeff, the one on the top switches it. Okay. I have been set free. All right, we're going to pray tonight. We're going to look at spiritual warfare and how to be delivered from the power of the evil one. Very, very important message here tonight. And we're going to wrap up the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Jeff, do we have that graphic for Tom Dooley? Oh, no. Next Wednesday, we are going to have Tom Dooley. He's going to be here with us. Um, and just give a little plug for it real quick before we move on. Um, he's going to have a, a multimedia presentation on the indestructible book, how we got our Bible soaked in the blood of the martyrs, how God brought it all about and gave it to us today. It's powerful, and I hope that you won't miss it. Tom Dooley, radio personality and my good friend, and uh, most of you know Tom, and he's a friend of our church, so don't miss that next week, all right? All right, let's... let's Pray this prayer, and we're going to get into talking about spiritual warfare. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we are in a warfare, but we're in a warfare where the final battle has already been won. But we pray that, Lord, you will give us wisdom as we look at your word and how you taught us to pray, that you will give us wisdom in this warfare we're involved in, that we would be triumphant, that we would be more than conquerors, and that this church, Turning Point Church, would be so victorious that the victory spills out into the streets and the highways and the byways, and many thousands come to know you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. I want you to say with me, I'm more than a conqueror. Through him who loved me, amen. <clears throat> Praise God. You can be seated. Well, this has been a great series, and I'm and oh, and do you need a card? If you need a prayer card, raise your hand real quick, and let us get that to you. If you don't have a prayer card, everybody, in, there's one or two over here, uh, and that's about it. Keep your hands up high, and we'll get you one of these prayer cards uh, as quickly as we can. Right there. All right. The rest of you have yours with you. Wave it up in the sky, can you? There we go. Now I want to encourage you to. Not just hear these messages on the Lord's Prayer, but pray it. That card should go in your Bible. It should go in, um, you ought to take it with you everywhere you go. Make copies of it. And, you know, 
this should deliver us from going down to pray, but our minds wandering or not knowing what to pray or how to pray. We're putting something in your hand so that you'll have sort of a prayer track. And you can pray through this. And uh, it, it covers every major dilemma or issue or need of life. And so I want to encourage you to make it something that you, you do uh, regularly. And uh, then if you, know, if you take off in your own praying, fine. But this is a great place to start. And uh, if you pray through this prayer card, which is the Lord's Prayer, if you pray through it, then basically you've covered all of your needs and all of what God is concerned about. All right? Now, last time we saw that the willingness to forgive is crucial to our relationship with God. How many of you know that we've got to forgive? You've got to forgive or you can't go on with God. You just can't go on. Now, the choices uh, to not forgive brings tough consequences. If we don't forgive, remember what we saw last time, uh, Jesus himself said, my father will turn you over to the tormentors. That doesn't sound good. Any way you want to shake it, that doesn't sound good. And so that's what he said. So though it's tough to forgive, believe it or not, it's much tougher not to. It's harder on you. And then finally, we looked at several blocks to forgiveness that can be overcome through grace. If you missed last week, I would encourage you to get the, uh, the CD. Now this time, we're going to look at the reality of spiritual warfare and the need to be delivered from the power of the evil one. Satan. Now, I know it's a moot question, but how many of you are really, truly aware that we're in a warfare and it's not with flesh and blood? Now, I was amazed to find Barna did a poll among church people. And in this poll among church people, he discovered that about 65 to 67 percent of church people no longer believe in a real devil. Now, that to me is beyond stunning. That to me is alarming because if you don't know who your enemy is, you're already dead. If you think there's not an enemy, you're already defeated. So when Paul and Jesus Christ and all the apostles dealt with demon spirits and you read about it in the uh, Bible, in the New Testament, I can assure you that was not allegory or a metaphor, or ancient thinking, that was real devils sent by a real Satan, tormenting real people, causing real damage and destruction. And if you're a believer tonight, you're targeted by him. Now that's not to make you afraid, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But you have been targeted by the devil. Or we wouldn't be having this teaching given to us in the New Testament on how to overcome the enemy. So Jesus taught us to be, be delivered, that we should pray that we experience deliverance from the power of the evil one. And so first, Jesus taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation. Now, stop and think about that for a minute. Lead us not into temptation. Now, when I read that, I have a problem with that immediately, and maybe you do too, because I want to know, does God lead me into temptation? Why would he tell me to pray that God would not lead me into temptation if God doesn't do it? Does God lead us into temptation? Why should we pray that he not do it? Well, let me tell you one thing that we need to be very clear about 
And I think this is important to know in warfare. God doesn't tempt anybody to sin. If you're under temptation, I want to tell you something. If it's to sin, God did not do it. It says in the Bible that every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So there are really two enticers in the world, two tempters, the devil and your flesh. Your flesh is always involved in temptation to sin. But we need to separate God from this. God does not lead us into temptation. So let's look at this. James wrote, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted from God. For God is incapable of being tempted by what is evil. And he himself, say it with me, everybody, tempts no one. God doesn't do it. And see, I think this is one of uh, the enemy's tricks. When you're experiencing temptation to sin, he wants to blame it on God. And that makes God your enemy. That means God is playing with your mind. And God doesn't do that. And so you're either enticed by your own lust or the tempter is tempting you. But it's not God. Then what did Jesus mean? Lead us not into temptation. Well, since God tempts no man, this phrase is used in the sense of permitting. Permitting. Do not suffer us or permit us to be tempted to sin. Now, God doesn't tempt anybody. But I believe as a believer, nothing comes into our lives that doesn't move through the sifter of God. If that's not true, then God's not in charge of his universe. You can go all the way back to the book of Job. And to get at Job, Satan had to approach God and get permission. When Peter was about to be tested, Jesus said to Simon Peter, he said, Satan has requested. Well, who did he request? He requested of God. Satan has requested to sift you like wheat. We're going to look at that uh, particular occurrence in the life of Peter in just a moment. But my point is this. Every time the Bible shows us beyond the veil, sort of lifts the curtain and lets us see what happens or see what happens behind the scenes of a temptation or a trial, you see the enemy having to get permission, going through the sifter of God, the permissive will of God, in order to do it. I think it's very important what we involve God in and what we don't involve God in. God doesn't tempt you. But I believe Jesus is teaching us to pray that God does not permit the enemy to try us beyond our ability to handle it. Now, it implies that God has such control over us. If, if the devil goes to God and says, can I you know, test them? It implies that God has such control over us and the tempter that he can save us from it if we call upon him. See, I, I see Jesus teaching us this, a dependence on God every day. Give us this day our daily bread and lead us not into temptation today, Lord. That is, don't permit us to be sorely tried. I believe that. So every day there is this dependence on God that Jesus taught. It's a daily walk. We don't have tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow brings. Yesterday's gone. What do we have? We have today. 
And so Jesus taught us, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, today I'm asking you, don't allow me to, or permit me to be tried sorely. I ask for divine protection. That is leaning on the everlasting arms. That's learning to lean. And you know, this lines up with Paul's encouraging words to the Corinthians. What did he say? Read it with me. But God is faithful to his word and to his compassionate nature. And he can be trusted not to let you be tempted and tried beyond your ability and strength of resistance and power to endure. But with the temptation, he will always also provide the way out. Everybody say praise God. Isn't that good? If you're under trial or temptation, start looking for the door because you it's a guarantee there's a door somewhere and God is saying, over here, get out. Get out. There's your way of escape. He will always provide the way out, the means of escape to a landing place that you may be capable and strong and powerful to bear up under it patiently. Isn't that good? You know what that means? That means that God has his hand on the dial and he will not allow the furnace of trial to get hotter than you can bear. Sometimes we say, Lord, you give me more than I can handle, but you got through it, didn't you? I mean, you said, Lord, you've given me more than I can handle, but here you are tonight on a Wednesday night, fought terrible traffic, got in here, we're praising God. What are you doing here if God gave you more than you could handle? You got through it. You just thought it was more than you could handle, but you didn't understand the power of grace in your life to pick you up and carry you through what you thought you could not handle. And so, amen, give the Lord a hand of praise. That's all right. Now, it's also important to know when he said, lead us not into temptation. The word temptation sometimes also means trial, affliction, anything that tests our faith. So Jesus was obviously addressing our being tested and tried. And as when he informed Peter that Satan had desired to sift him like wheat, Jesus then assured him, and I want you to watch this. Jesus, knowing everything, being God, knew that Satan had requested to attack Simon Peter. He knew that Simon Peter was the chief among them. He knew that God's plan was powerful for him. He knew that Jesus had a plan that, that upon the revelation that Peter received, he would build his church. Peter was marked with a powerful destiny. And so Satan went to God and said, let me add him, that I might sift him like wheat. And I want you to notice what Jesus said to Simon Peter. I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned your back, or when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now, I would have liked Jesus to have said, Satan, or, or, or Simon Peter, he went to God asking for you, but I rebuked him. He's not going to be bugging you. But Jesus let him go through it. Now, can we just look at the word of God tonight and just let it talk to us for a minute? Say, how many of you would, have, would like it if the Lord would rebuke some of the things off of you that you've had to go through? Come on. So, so knowing, knowing that Simon Peter didn't have in him what he thought he did, 
knowing he was going to fail him. Simon, you think you're never going to deny me, but you're going to deny me three times. I already see it. He could have stopped that. He could have said, well, Satan has asked to sift you, but Simon, I'm not going to let him touch you. He didn't do it. He prayed for him. He said, my prayer is with you. God bless you, son. Have a great trial. <laughs> he didn't protect him. And, you know, sometimes he allows you and I to go through trials in the same way. Now, what is Jesus doing right now as we speak tonight? It says he ever lives to make intercession for the saints. He's praying for you. He's praying for me. He's interceding. And you know what he's praying? That your faith doesn't fail. He's praying your faith doesn't fail. He's not going to put you in a bubble any more than you would put your own child in a bubble. You can't protect your children from everything that's going to come against them. They're going to have to find within them the strength to go through it, to make right decisions, to learn some hard lessons from some hard knocks. And there's no way you can bubbleize them where they don't experience life. And if you could, you shouldn't. How are they ever going to grow up, be strong, be gritty, be steel-like? How are they ever going to flex their inner muscles if you don't allow them to have some trials? And that's the way that God sees it. God says, well, here comes the devil. He's, he's requested to sift you like wheat. He's going to try you. And I'm, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. I'm praying that your faith does not fail. Now, I want you to notice something. It was Simon's faith that Satan was after. To try and to test it. And if Satan could have, and I'll guarantee you without the prayers of Jesus, after he denied Jesus, that would have been the end for Peter. That would have been it. But Jesus prayed for him. And he's praying for you. And you may feel like you can't do it, like you can't take it, like you can't take another step, go through another day. You're going to because you got one in heaven praying for you. He's praying for you. Man, I look back at some of the things that we've survived, and I say, how in the world? Well, I can tell you how. By grace, by the power of the Holy Ghost, by the power of the Word of God, and because Jesus named my name to the Father and said, see him through, that his faith not fail. The most valuable thing you've got is your faith. And that's what the devil was after. And Jesus knew it. He said, I prayed your faith doesn't fail, Simon. And this is a perfect picture of what Jesus was talking about when he taught us to pray. Lead us not into temptation, into testing, into trial beyond our ability to endure. Strengthen us, Lord. See us through it. It's a daily leaning on God. You can't get enough of God if all... The time you ever spend with him is a Sunday morning for an hour and a half. You've got to come to him every day. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God on a daily basis. I'm amazed that I can feel down, I can feel like I'm struggling, I can be going through some things, but when I open up the word of God, it suddenly immediately begins to inject strength into me. It infuses hope and faith. 
David said, I would have fainted. I would have been done had I not believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Amen? Now, Jesus went from there and taught us to pray, deliver us from evil. Now, the original Greek has the article, the article being the. Uh, to Ponaru is the way it says, the evil. It doesn't say, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from Ponaru, that's evil. But it says, to, there's the, the article, to Ponaru, from the evil. Deliver us from the evil. Deliver us from the evil, that is the evil one, or Satan. He wasn't just talking about some broad, shadowy, nebulous concept of evil. He was saying there's an evil one, and from that evil one comes evil. He is the source of evil. You know, I'm amazed when I watch the media, when I watch the news, they just, you know, they get on there and they go, now, do you believe in evil? Do you think there's really evil out there? They asked McCain and they asked Obama, do you believe in evil? Folks, if you don't know there's evil out there, we need to anoint you with enough oil to slide you into the next room. <laughs> you need a revelation. We're in a world where there is evil. And where does it come from? It comes from the evil one, Satan. Now, he is elsewhere called by both Jesus and John. They both called him the evil one. And I gave you all the verses up there if you want to write them down. The prayer we're encouraged to pray means this. Deliver us, Lord, from his power, his snares, his craftiness, his temptations. We have won the battle because the winner lives inside of us. But I'm going to tell you something. Satan's been successful with people, good people, for thousands of years. And how does he do it? His power, his snares. He'll spend 20 years laying a trap for you. His craftiness. His temptations. He knows, uh, he knows your weakness. And, and, and the Bible talks about him uh, hatching schemes. Let me tell you about the devil. He's not a shot, he doesn't shoot shotguns. He shoots, he shoots through a scope. He is a chess player. And he'll lay a plan for you. He doesn't care if it takes one year, five years, 10 or 20. He'll set you up. And that's why we need to not be ignorant of his devices and learn what we're teaching tonight. This is why Jesus said, pray every day that you're delivered from the power of the evil one. That his snares, his craftiness, his power and his temptations do not succeed over you. He's out there. He is, according to Scripture, the father of evil, and to be delivered from him is to be safe. And it can also mean, when Jesus said, deliver us from the power of the evil one, it can also mean deliver us from the various evils and trials which beset us, the heavy and the oppressive troubles into which we are continually liable to fall. If you think you can't fall, your day's coming. 
And God has given us tremendous weapons with which to fight him. Now, I'm not going to spend a long time on the armor of God here tonight. I'm going to go through them pretty quick. But I want you to look at these words from Paul. This is out of the Message Bible. It's so powerful. Paul wrote about the warfare we're engaged in and who our enemy is. And here's what he said. So take everything the Master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use so you'll be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. Not what it is. This is for keeps. Everybody say with me, this is for keeps. And all of a sudden I feel I'm talking to somebody by radio. You need to understand the battle you're in is for keeps. And you need to listen to the word of God that we're sharing right now. Because there is a weaponry that will deliver you and it's spiritual and it's not carnal. You can be set free and you can be delivered by the power of God. Don't give up and understand you can't dabble with this any longer. It's for keeps. A life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get, every weapon God has issued, so that when it's all over but the shouting, boy, I like that, when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Isn't that good? Then Paul uses the typical Roman soldier armor of his day for a perfect picture of what God has given us to win the fight. Let's look at this armor real quickly. First, say with me, stand therefore. Hold your ground, having tightened the belt of truth around your loins. Powerful. Now, here's, here's what that means. It means we are to keep the word in our heart. Your word, David said, I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. I'm going to tell you something, folks. There's not a thing in you of yourself apart from God that can even begin to defeat the devil. He'll clean the slate with you. But if you have the word of God in you, David said, I hide the word of God in my heart. That is, I memorize it. And I know that if the word of God is in me, that is how I will have victory over him and that is how I will not walk in sin. Practice a sinful lifestyle. That's why seven days without the word does make one week. It really does. You may not feel like you're getting weak, but I promise you, you are. You've got to have that word. You've got to have it every day. And it means also to live a life in keeping with Scripture, living truly and not in hypocrisy. That's what it means. The belt of truth. The truth is in your heart. And your lifestyle is lived out according to the truth of the word. you got to live it. And then, having put on the breastplate of integrity and of moral rectitude and right standing with God. This is the breastplate of, of faith. Or, or righteousness, I'm sorry, of righteousness. This refers to righteousness. When I put on the breastplate of righteousness, it means righteousness in works. I'm, again, I'm living out a righteous life. I'm obeying the word. 
I'm doing what God has told me to do. And the righteousness also that is ours by the finished work of Christ. Now, in theology, we have two little words for this, imputed and imparted. Imputed means God has declared you righteous. Imparted means he's empowering you to live out in time and space a righteous life. We have imputed righteousness. He's declared us to be righteous by the blood of his son, and we have imparted righteousness. By his grace, I'm being empowered to live a righteous life. Amen. And those are the two kinds of righteousness that make up the breastplate. So we've got to put on that breastplate of righteousness in order to win the battle. We've got to face the accuser of the brethren with a clear conscience. Can you say with me clear conscience? I can't tell you how important that is. And you'll have a clear conscience if you're living the life that God's told you to live. Look what Paul said about the importance of a clear conscience. Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences. As a result, their faith has shipwrecked. Isn't that powerful? That's why if you mess up, give that mess up a short shelf life. Repent and get right with God quickly. Anybody in here messed up since you got saved? You sure? Okay. We're all going to mess up. We're all going to sin. We're all imperfect. But the key is you keep your conscience clear by, I believe, in practicing daily repentance. Every day you ought to say, Lord, forgive me for any thought, any idle word, any action, any attitude that has grieved you. Forgive me. And keep that conscience clear. Because I'm going to tell you something. You can't face the devil without a clear conscience. He will beat your brains out with condemnation unless you keep your conscience clear. Amen? That's where boldness comes from. And then he moves on. Next, having shod your feet in preparation to face the enemy with the firm-footed stability, the promptness and the readiness produced by the good news of the gospel of peace. This is talking about the gospel sandals. What in the world does that mean? This piece of the armor refers to the sandals or to the military shoes then used by these Roman soldiers. It means that the Christian soldier has got to be prepared to do and suffer all that God wills. That's what the gospel sandals mean. I am prepared. Whatever price I've got to pay to walk with God, I'm standing on my decision based on the gospel. If I've got to suffer, I'll suffer. Be persecuted, I'll take it. Mocked and ridiculed, I'll take it. Whatever price I've got to pay, I am on firm footing. I've put on my marching shoes. And so I'm ready to face anything. So it has to do with being mentally prepared to pay a price to be a Christian. You know, I hate to break it to you. God does want to bless you, but you're going to be blessed with persecutions. If you live godly in Christ Jesus, you're going to suffer persecution. Well, Pastor, I haven't been persecuted in years. Well, what does that tell you? Because if you live godly in this world, you're going to be persecuted. They're going to make fun of you, ridicule you, criticize you, ostracize you. 
Not that I'm looking for it, but I know that if I live godly in Christ Jesus, I'm going to suffer at least seasonally persecution. And, and the gospel sandals make me ready for that. They make me ready. We're ready to march as a Christian soldier, come what may. Now here's the next one. Lift up over all the covering shield of saving faith, upon which you can quench all the flaming missiles of the wicked one. Isn't that powerful? Flaming missiles. Now let's talk about this a minute. The shield that Paul had in mind, and, and he was in prison when he wrote this. He was basically just looking out of his prison at a Roman soldier, and God gave him this illustration. He's looking at the soldier, and he's looking at the shield. And here's what he was talking about. It was the large, oblong, oval, door-like shield of the Romans, four feet long and two and a half feet broad, not the small round buckler. This shield Paul was looking at covered you and protected you. It was large. And here's the promise. You shall be able. Can you say with me, I shall be able. Not merely you may or you might or hope so or maybe so or perhaps so. He said, you shall be able. Well, that's good stuff. I like shall be's. Amen? You shall be able. The shield of faith will certainly intercept and quench all the fiery. How many of the fiery darts? All the fiery darts that the enemy sends against you. Now, what are the fiery darts? The fiery darts refers to the ancient fire darts formed out of cane with hair-like fiber tips and combustibles ignited on the head of the arrow so as to set fire to woodwork, tents, and so on. You would light it. It had combustible on the tip of the arrow that did not go out when it went at fast speed. They aimed it, they fired it into something made of wood or straw, something that could burn a tent, and it set the whole thing on fire. Now, Paul said, Satan shoots fiery missiles into your mind. And he intends for that missile to strike your mind, lodge in your mind, and it doesn't stop there. But whatever it is, he shot into your mind a temptation, a fear, a doubt, a perplexity. He intends for it to burn until it sets your soul on fire with trouble. That's why he called it a fiery dart. As Christians, we're being fired upon with red-hot missiles designed to burn and destroy there are temptations, doubts, fears, vexations of many kinds. You ever been driving down the highway? Everything's fine. You got your Christian music on. You're praising God. And here you are and everything's cool and God is good and all is good with the world. And all of a sudden, what? Something hits you in your mind. And all of a sudden, there is a temptation that sweeps over you. you say, where in the world did this come from? Or a fear or a doubt. And all of a sudden you find yourself gnawing like a dog on a bone over some fear or some doubt or some worry. What if this? What if that? What if that little pain inside of you is something worse? You know, in three months you're going in for your physical. You ought to start worrying now. <laughs> and everything was fine till all of a sudden, wham! And and 
If you don't handle it, it starts burning. Because you got hit with a fiery dart. And, and it has come to knock you off your game. To get your mind off of God. To get you off of your victory. And it's a fiery arrow. And here is the promise that the shield of faith will extinguish every one of them. Isn't that great? Praise God. So, you know, here comes that fiery arrow. What do you do? And instead of chewing over it and thinking about it, you hold up that shield of faith. You hold up that shield of faith. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My God is in charge of the days of my life. I am his child. He is my God. I trust him. I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You hold up that shield of faith. And he says, every fiery arrow shot to take away your peace and your victory and your faith will be extinguished. Amen. Now, you know, notice where the fiery arrows come from. The Bible is clearer that they are of the wicked, rather of the evil one. And our faith conquers him. Can you say our faith conquers him? Bible says, who is he that overcomes the world? Or what is that that overcomes the world? Even our faith. His darts of temptation to anger, to lust, to revenge, to despair, and so on, are destroyed by faith. Faith overcomes the world. That's why you better keep it strong every day with the Word of God. And it also defeats the prince of this world, the devil. He hates faith. That's why he's after Peter's faith and your faith. And finally, we're to take the helmet of salvation. The word for take is a Greek word meaning receive, accept. Namely, the helmet offered by the Lord. We are to appropriate our salvation by faith. In battle, always remember that you are saved by Jesus' blood. Remember that helmet of salvation from the hands of Jesus in your hour of battle. The, the word is very clear here. Jesus is handing you the helmet of salvation. And it's our part to receive it. I want you to say with me, I receive that helmet. Paul wrote twice about the helmet. He says, but we belong to the day. Therefore, let us be sober and put on the breastplate of faith and love. And for a helmet, what everybody? The hope of salvation. That's your helmet. And how important is it? Our helmet is the hope of salvation. It's not an uncertain hope, but it's one that brings with it no shame of disappointment. Romans 5, 5 says, hope makes us not ashamed. When you're believing in Jesus Christ to save you, it is never in vain. It never leaves you hanging. It's attached to the shield of faith as its inseparable accompaniment. The, this piece of armor, the helmet, is crucial because the head of the soldier was among the principal parts to be defended. As on the head, the deadliest strokes might fall. And it is the head that commands the whole body. You've got to protect your mind. The head is the seed of the mind, which when it has laid hold of the sure gospel, hope of eternal life will not receive false doctrine 
or give way to Satan's temptations to despair. God, by this hope, lifts up the head. So when you're in battle, here's what you can say. I may be in a trial, but bless God, I'm saved. Bless God, I am saved. I may be hurting, but I'm saved. I may have suffered some loss, but I'm saved. I may be getting hit from every direction, but I'm saved. I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb. I've been raised from the spiritual dead. I'm heaven-bound. I'm saved. And there's something about when you do that, you put on that helmet. And the devil can't get at your mind and bring you into despair where you finally say, well, I'm just going to forget it. Walk away from the church. Walk away from prayer and forget this Christianity stuff. No, no, no. You don't give up your faith because you're saved. Hallelujah. And finally, we take up the sword of the Spirit. We're going to close with this. The Roman soldier's sword was a two-edged sword cutting both ways. So is the Word of God. It strikes some people with conviction and conversion and others with condemnation. You either get convicted and saved or you're condemned by the Word of God. It is in the mouth of Jesus Christ and in the hand of His saints. We're talking about His Word. Christ's use of this sword in the temptation in the wilderness is our pattern as to how we are to wield it against Satan. It is worth noting that there is no armor for the back. But only for the front of the body. You know why? God never intended for you to turn and run. There's no armor for your back. You can't turn your back on the foe. You can only face him. Our only safety is in resisting ceaselessly. Let's stand together, can we? Say with me, I put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the gospel sandals. I take up the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith by which I will quench every fiery arrow shot against me. In Jesus' name, I'm more than a conqueror. Give him a hand of praise one more time, can you? Hallelujah.